0: Everybody, this is G, and you're listening to the Sitrep Podcast. And today we have a full house—the entire command crew plus a special guest—are with us today. So, as always, we have Chris. Hello, everybody. We have Ralph. Hey, hey, folks. And we have Jim.
1: Hello and welcome. Sounds like they got the band back together again. Yes,
0: and we have a special guest, as I said, all the way from Chicago, Illinois. No, 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 no. is Dawn, a presenter and writer with Beast of War on Tabletop.
2: Hello, everybody.
0: Hello, Dawn. All right, so um, the last episode, it was just a small recon team. It was Jim and I, and it's really great to have everybody back at the table to talk about everything related to modern military gaming. Uh, we have a lot to cover today. Um we have new shows we got to talk about and all kinds of other great projects. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in, and we're going to start with hobby. And I'm going to let Chris, why don't you start off with us for us?
3: Uh, what have I been working at? I stripped my special arts and service miniatures Ukrainians because I wasn't happy with the paint job. Wow. So I, rest- I restarted the paint job because I saw more news footage and stuff. So I was like, I don't want them look like, I want them to look like this. So I stripped the paint off and started repainting them. Um, I'm also working on a Shilka AA tank. And I think I've got, what else do I got? I got a BTR uh, 90 going as well. So I've, I've been pretty busy.
0: So what are you using to strip your models?
3: Um, Was it Simply Green. Okay. So yeah, what do you have
0: to p- soak it for?
3: I, I find I usually have to soak it, I soak it overnight and then I take a light brush to it and it comes off. So it's pretty good, but, uh, some with, with some paint jobs, I gotta, it's 24 hours. Okay. Yeah. But that's all I've been working on for modern. The rest of the stuff I've been working on is all world war two.
4: But, um chris the sh- who's the sh- sorry jim there uh chris who's the shulka from which kid uh, it? is it I, something you sell? I printed it
3: uh i'd have to find out who the uh guy that designed the yeah. stl is um because i don't have that information in front of me right now but uh i can
4: put it in the uh, in the show notes it or might be worse yeah, it might be worth and, it for you know people who are interested in possibly printing their own because I know yeah. there's there's a couple of companies out there. There's one in, based in the UK that does 3D prints. I know Empress do a resin one. Yeah, they do a nice resin one.
3: Yeah, was, with, I'll I'll, uh, I'll look it up and then I'll send mm-hmm. it to
1: G. Sounds good. So uh, I'm assuming that the show is in 28 millimeter.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's I printed it in one fiftieth scale. Okay, yeah, so
1: that uh I'm not terribly well versed in three d printing technology, but I do know that with you know the limitations based on uh overhangs and things of this nature, and just knowing what Ashoka looks like, that had to be in a in a, obviously like several parts
3: uh it's track sections are separate call okay. turret,
1: radar. Uh, and then those 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 four guns and the little yeah, lattice marks that kind are, of hold the four guns together.
3: Yeah, it's printed in uh, two sections.
1: Okay.
3: Yeah. So well. that's pretty cool. I have to add the the hoses for the uh, the water cooling, mm-hmm. um, but because the the model did not have those. But uh, everything else is on there, so it looks really good.
1: Yeah, that part where the four 23 four twenty three millimeter autocannons kind of meet the turret is. Just design-wise, very complicated. Yes. I mean, yeah, even, I even in a even in a regular model kit, that's gonna that's always tough to put to put together.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna do um, my best to make some.
1: Awesome. Yeah. That's 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 gonna look amazing because yeah. Shilka's is one of those vehicles that is just it just looks mean. It, you know.
3: I, yeah, I want to do the Taguska too. Oh, there you go. The more modern version.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the ZSU 30-6. Yeah. Is the, uh, Disney, yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a six-barreled, 30-millimeter rotary cannon,
3: yeah, as opposed you... to
1: the, the, the four. Oh, it has missiles as well.
3: Yeah, it has missiles as <laughs> well. Oh, man. Yeah. That's
1: awesome.
3: Um, another vehicle <laughs> I'm trying to figure out uh, is the Terminator. And the Terminator is, uh, I believe, a T-72 chassis. Mm-hmm. uh up armored with a 30 millimeter um small auto cannon turret and i believe it's also got missiles as well i believe it's a is
1: that also for air defense or for no it's it's
3: it's an assault vehicle it's like wow i think, I think the, vel- the, the development of it was um during the uh chechen war right so yeah that's my next vehicle that I'm trying to find. And build it. That actually
1: sounds pretty awesome. They probably took a look at battlefield usage and they said, okay, look, Shilka's fire and combat 100 times. Out of those 100 times, 99 of them, they're shooting at ground targets. Yeah. We're using our anti-air vehicles as, as, you know, fire support vehicles much more often. Basically modern day assault guns as opposed to um, actual air defense. That's what it sounds like. So Chris, cool. how are you going
3: to use those in a game? Uh, the Shilka I'm using for ground fire, um, the, uh, the T-90, I'm not sure about yet. Um, and the, uh, I think the Shilka I'm just going to use for ground fire. Um, and I was thinking about doing a scenario where it's disabled out on the battlefield and it's just trying, they're just trying to, uh, save the vehicle. And uh, we'll see if I, I might uh, do a thing where the uh, vehicle gets to shoot, but it's limited to how much ammo it's got or something like that. I I just want to make, make it look like they're trying to, to uh, get the vehicle repaired and out of there Mm -hmm. while it's being attacked.
1: Um, It's based on a PT 76 light tank chassis, amphibious tank chassis. So those tracks are really thin. Yeah. Uh, I could definitely see a track snapping or coming off of those bogeys. Um, that's, what, really, that's
4: what I was thinking. Yeah. Those things aren't meant to move, yeah, right? You quick. could also have it as well um, that it's had some sort of electrical fault. So on a dice roll, the fault that's is good. fixed. And that's yeah. when you're able to use it as a, a platform.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about doing because I don't want it to be in working condition where it's because that's going to be a lot of firepower. In, an, in a skirmish yeah. game that's just that's a bit much but yeah. i want it to be more of an objective with the possibility of firing so
1: 2300 uh, a 23 millimeter cannon shells at 4200 rounds a minute i don't know what you're talking about that's not yeah.
3: <laughs> – well I've, I've got a um one mounted in the back of a year- old truck and right. it's just the two barrels just imagine four barrels that's,
1: yeah, that's that's a technical you see in a lot of uh, in a lot of conflicts and a lot yeah. of wars is the unofficial ZSU Toyota is what I call it. Yeah, um, <laughs> just as a joke. Yeah, there's always two. You see them in Syria, you see them in Libya, and so on. The two um, tw- I can't remember the designation of the gun. It's the same 23 millimeter autocannon, just kind of bolted to the back of either a Toyota or another light truck or some kind.
3: Yeah. So that's that's what I've been working on. Awesome. It's just been working on that and then uh working on uh a whole Hungarian army for World War 2.
2: Nice.
3: Um, nice. And so,
4: well, that's it. How about you? Chris. Well, I'm really happy I finished my Humvee, which I think I posted some video up of. It looks
0: really good. You did but a it nice It does year. look uh, good.
4: absolutely uh, really i'm really pleased with that um that's my first attempt at using a using an airbrush i um, never used an airbrush before so oh i didn't know oh, that that was a good job then wow. yeah so so well i mainly for the airbrush was spraying the green and then taking the air then taking a, a dust like a sand color and doing the camo but i didn't map out the camo pattern that i used to the sand color. I just did it by hand and by eye just to make it look slightly different. So you see all of the, you know, the Humvees, like the Spectre ones on their website, especially all in desert colors. Mm. And I thought, well, let's have something different. Let's have the the, the green on it. So, and then I mounted the, um, the, M, the M2 remote turret on top. I wish I'd waited now though. Why is that? because Spectre dropped off that which we'll talk about in the news there. their new um, anti-tank turret basically the 30mm with the dragon launcher remote turret yeah. which is like <laughs> but we'll talk about that in the news and stuff uh, and then of course I'd finish the the section, the four man team that went with it with the cane with the furry hand grenade of course you've got to have a special ops team with the furry hand grenade I'm sorry you know used to be in the robot yeah <laughs> Yeah, airbrushes are great i mean once so um, I, I was really happy with that and then i thought i'm sorry you're still there yeah i'm still there. as you were okay. talking there jim sorry
1: oh, oh my bad <laughs> i'm sorry um no airbrushes uh i find um i mean it took me a while to get used to them because i did I, I started off you know the old school with the with the paintbrushes or whatever yeah uh, once once you get used to the airbrush um Number one, your miniatures are gonna obviously look, you know, uh, you know, I don't wanna say better, but they're definitely gonna look different. In some ways they're definitely gonna look better. Obviously you still have to go over, you know, your detailed stuff with a brush. But what I find is the huge advantage is time. You will find yourself painting armies in like a weekend. Uh yeah. the the desert bolt action boot camp I've been working on, uh the Army, that DAK, it's I've I've been kind of stalling on it lately, but I got to 60% mark in like three days, um, and not even like full days. You know, two or three coats. You prime it black. You go zenithal with your with your base color. Now your shadows are already pre-built in to your paint job, and uh, a little bit of extra zenithal on top with like a, a lighter color of whatever it is you're using. Um, and the only other thing I would add about that is. And again everyone probably already knows this but just bear saying again treat that airbrush like it's an actual pistol that you keep in your house Because yeah. in every single time you use it I don't care if it's for five minutes or five hours take it apart and clean it if, you know I've, I've never yeah. had a problem with my with my badger gravity fed airbrush uh, my, my, my my renegade and it's because I'm very obsessive with constantly taking it apart and cleaning every little bit of it break it all the way down, clean everything and you know put it back together and put it away dry. Otherwise, your valves are going
4: to clog up, and you're going to have you know have issues with it going forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I didn't send the 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 hum because I'm I'm not used to doing that yet, and I mainly got the airbrush because it's it's a cheap one. It's not cheap per se, but it's not your tri- your typical one. It's in the UK they sell them with um their own sort of mini compressor that they use for cake decorating and stuff. So it's like okay. a, it's not a big one but it was just to dip my toe in the water shall we say to using it yeah, yeah. to getting another tool um but i didn't zenithal the the V, but and i still paint the minis hand paint anyway because a lot of the stuff i'm doing is especially on those ones there's multi-cam on them oh that's
1: true yeah
4: yeah but um so i mainly got the airbrushing for priming so instead of using an aerosol primer, which is what I normally use, I use um, army paint a black or army paint a gray or I have primed up and started painting Task Force Nomad minis, um, mm-hmm. which are the, the two, sort of the Afghan garbed special forces that Spectre do, um, and I primed them with um, skeleton bone because it was close to sand to give them you know that, that type of base to then put all the other colors on top of them. but. Um, On top of that, I did go back in after I'd finished with it uh, and I I bought some new plastic last week. I got some Vallejo air colors in sets. So I've got a set of wheels and track sets. And what's really good about that is on the back of the box, it tells you how to use the colors, you know, to get the wheel colors correctly and make it look all right. Um, I picked up U.S. Modern Desert. So it's a set of paints for the airbrush that are basically for creating. You know, desert desert schemes. Um, just basically to play a desert colour. and the other one I've picked up which is the MERDC Camo colours.
1: Okay. So That's the old eighties uh, uh,
4: four colour stuff. It is four colors, but um I don't think it's eighties because on the front there is an M one A one. Yeah, the
0: the Murder. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah, the Murder yeah. colours. I mean we were using Murdeck until the I mean they had Murdeck and Desert Storm. Yeah. <laughs> i mean before they could you know paint everything tan, yeah. can we were yeah. sending stuff over still in
4: Murdeck. so mm-hmm. yeah so it's the Murdeck ones and they do with Murdeck um, um so that they're, they're nice set of paints actually because they're for the airbrush as well as for um paint uh brushes so it's you know it's it's a set of vallejo model air which are which are really nice and the the stuff with the the wheel set was really good so i was able to get what I think look really good um you know sort of effects on the tires and stuff, and I also picked up some Vallejo um, environmental acrylics, like wet effects mm-hmm. and European splash mud. So what I did on the Humvee was take a brush and a cocktail stick, a toothpick, and mm-hmm. flick the brush over the cock the, over the stick to give a splat effect on the side of the wheels and on the sides of the paneling as well It's like uh, mud and dirt and things like that,
3: yeah. Cool. Yeah, Mm -hmm. those uh, Vallejo sets, I highly recommend it. I just bought three this week uh, for weathering, for Mm -hmm. different things, and then I bought one of their airbrush sets. They're actually quite handy, and then I like how they they have instructions on the back of the box.
4: mm
1: -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So now I just have one, one very important question to quick ask real fast. All right, between then. all right, so between me, Chris, and Ralph. Okay, Gia, I need you to look over and check. Have we put Dawn to sleep yet, or is she still conscious? <laughs> oh, I'm still
2: here. I'm listening. I'm soaking it up. We
1: will. <laughs> we will. We will try harder. We will not stop until you are completely zonked out.
4: Uh, <laughs> now, I do have a a, a um a question because I've got some airbrushed flint. Thinner and some airbrush flow improver because I'm going to be using my standard Vallejo paints yeah. in the airbrush. Which one will help? Because the, the standard Vallejo ones aren't really airbrush ones, they're so not the model air, it's yeah. the standard traditional airbrush. Which one to use? So, will it be the flow improver or the thinner in the airbrush to thin them down and use them properly?
1: Oh, to actually shoot the paint through the brush? Yeah, through the I I would say the thinner, um, but when it comes to airbrushing, experimentation is your friend. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. mean, never ever shoot your first blast of paint at the model. Always have either some junk hanging around, yeah, or some cardboard or something, and try it at different. uh, I'm not sure exactly what kind of airbrush you're using, but try it at different distances with the nozzle to your to your target to get different. you know, consistencies or whatever. I've used thinner. I've overdone it and to where my stuff got very spider webby and started to mm-hmm. drool down the side. It's, you know, that's mm-hmm. not good at all. Um, but uh, again, not enough thinner. And before you know it, uh, you, you start to clog up your brush and then you get more yeah. spattering problems. So again, it's, it's really going to be experimentation.
3: I have to agree with Jim. Thinner is important. Yes. Yeah, it's just because yeah.
4: you see online, yeah. you know, I checked on YouTube and one guy recommended Thinner, one guy recommended Flow Improver. And it's like, I honestly don't know what the difference is. That
3: that could be because of what brush they're using, too. What airbrush are they using? Because yeah, some people I find the uh, thinner works better and some find the Flow Aid works
4: better. Yeah, it's just because I'm going to have to thin down the gray black that I've got. In the Vallejo paints because I'm going to go back to my conversion jobs of my little birds. I know I sort of that's been on the hold for a little bit, so I'm going to go back and finish me first little bird off um, conversion. And I need to go over the body with a grey black. Now I, I primed it black and it looks fine, but I want to go over with a grey black as well just to get rid of that solid colour of black. Yeah, that you sort of see on them. And then now, here's and then another
1: the very important black. question: when. I ran across this with my Heinz when I was doing my Heinz for Team Yankee. When you're priming your helicopters black, how is it that you overcome the temptation to leave it that way and feel like Airwolf Squadron? <laughs> <laughs> I had these Heinz as all black, and I was like, damn, I so want to just leave them like this. I don't want to, like, put the their actual ca- Afghanistan ca- camouflage on there.
4: Yeah, but... What's the Airwolf theme running through your head when you yeah. were um, yeah. doing yeah. it? Was it was it Airwolf or was it Blue Thunder, Jim? You know,
1: come on. Oh, no, definitely Airwolf. Yeah. Sorry. Airwolf. Airwolf Airwolf. greater than Blue Thunder.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that, that's it one of those Coke versus Pepsi questions. That's always is Airwolf. Definitely is it. And then, of course, I picked up some new, got some Spectre minis for, possibly I'm going to do when second edition Spectre comes out. I've had a chat with Paul and we're going to try and arrange doing some filming, an actual battle report and a talk about the second edition rules. Okay. So I've got my force, which is going to be this four man team with the dog and the Home V. And the off for I planned, which is a scenario idea I put up on Spectre as well, was a meeting between a Russian arms dealer who's got four members of the G- uh, PMC or XGRU or KGB operate as his bodyguards. So they would probably be down as also being elite, but I haven't decided yet. And uh, the carrot the the model's the sheik. So he's probably like a high up member of the of the of the uh, terrorists and with his bodyguard. Now I wouldn't make them militia and I wouldn't make them you know trained. These were you know they're elite soldiers so I'll probably put them down as professional. And he's got like a six man protection squad with a technical and they're buying a weapon from the Russian. Um, so the, the idea for the train piece for that is a cargo container with the door open and using the laptop from the Spectre Mini's drone controller t- um, Taliban member that they have, because they did a you know a drone for the opposition on top of a crate with some wires going into the cr- into the container. And in the container will either be possibly something like an, uh, a nuclear warhead or something like that, but the cables just denote there was something in there um, and that was going to be like the 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 control you know the the piece that's like a piece of terrain there so i've got that sort of idea awesome it's either going to be the mission i thought was either going to be a htv you know the the spec ops team are going in there to uh, kidnap the the sheik and they've stumbled across this arms deal or it was going to be a straight kill capture or stop them from using the nukes or destroying it so you know, it's, it's it depends how we, how, we, how we want to play it it's
0: awesome sounds good jim you're up
1: uh hobby for me is going to be a very short segment um pretty much a lot of my hobby work has been uh, pretty much stalled for uh either writing or some video production that we'll talk about a little later uh i've been this <laughs> is almost going to be embarrassing. Um, on the way to work recently, uh, I had to stop and get gas, and I go into the little convenience gas mart, and they're selling these little um, – they're almost like a Lego knockoff. Uh, these little – yeah, uh, like the hero blocks or mega blocks, whatever they call them, and they have these little um, figures for Halo. So I guess these would be like slightly larger than infinity size, so like 35 millimeter, maybe 40 millimeter. Um, If they were gaming miniatures, which obviously they're not. But the detail on these miniatures are actually really awesome. I keep calling them miniatures. On these toys are really actually pretty awesome. They're like four bucks a piece. They come in like 20 different varieties. They come with little weapons. And for such a small little toy, they have like 18 points of articulation. Heads, both shoulders, ball and socket joints, both elbows, both wrists. Uh, The hips, the knees, the ankles. I mean... They're uh, they're really crazy as far as you know how you can how you can pose them or whatever. So just for fun, I bought a couple and took them home, and then fell out of love with some of the colors <laughs> because one of them had like this this school bus orange kind of a thing. I don't know what he's supposed to be because um, I'm not terribly familiar with the Halo franchise. But I just was playing around. I started putting some like my like brick red uh, paint on them, put a little bit of a wash Vallejo wash, and a little bit of, uh, of a dry brush on them. And he came out looking really badass, especially for basically a you know, three or four dollar toy. So of course, you know, next step in the saga, I totally break my New Year's resolution because I'm still not done with my bolt action army. You're uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I t- I started early in December first. We had this discussion, which means I get to break it early. So by the end of January, it's already shattered. So yeah, I went out and I bought a bunch of these silly little Halo guys. So uh Most of them don't even need any paint at all. I just have to figure out how to base them. But uh, I have no idea what I'm going to do with these. I mean, I'm not really into Halo. I don't have any of the aliens or monsters or anything in the franchise. So, I don't know. Like, Special Forces, um, sci-fi skirmish combat or something eventually.
3: Jim, they make Black Ops as well for those mini- those little figures. I
1: saw, I saw Command, yeah. uh, Command, um, as,
3: Call of Duty. Because I can or, see some right now. My son has got a bunch sitting on his shelf of his favorite characters from Black Ops.
1: Yep. So you know what I'm talking about. Those things oh, are yeah, insanely articulated. They have like tw- like I might be exaggerating. but They have at least a dozen articulation points. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, they've got they've got a Call of Duty set. I'm looking on e on Google here because I've seen them before and Amazon sell them. Uh, Urban Strike, Call of Duty sets. There's a sniper team, Jim. See, yeah. this isn't
1: good. This is not good because <laughs> you guys are on the site there's now. A home
4: fit. You guys there's, are on the site now.
1: Home, there is a You guys are on the site now, which means you're looking at the prices. And now you know how much money I've dumped into this ridiculous little
4: project.
1: <laughs> 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 oh, so At the store, they were like five
4: bucks. Oh yeah, that that thing. But the vehicles are like there's a there's a little bird.
0: Hmm. Awesome, Dawn, What have you been up to?
2: <laughs> Nothing historical. Sorry, I, that that's gonna be the hang up there. I'm lost. I'm, I'm lost in fantasy land for sure. So, I've uh, been eyeing my Harry Potter miniatures lately. So, but I'm uh, fearful about whether I want to try to paint them or if I want to turn them over to a skilled painter Mm-mm. i wonder who that might be I don't know. and uh end up with something that i'm going to really be happy with i know i got i have to get braver at some point with the painting
1: i'm just well, no, hold sure on a second ha- harry i'm not 100 familiar with harry potter harry potter that takes place i know it takes place in england it takes place when in england though like the 60s 70s 80s now no, oh, really, yeah. yeah. Well, that 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 technically makes it modern wargaming. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> welcome, to the, welcome okay, to the I tribe. Welcome to the tribe. Feel much better, yeah. There you
4: go. Yeah, no, really, that's been, want, that's been that it for the me. same, by the way, because I got um some night models, Batman miniatures. Yes, I got the Arkham. Uh, I got like the Arkham Asylum. set I got some of the Arkham Asylum and Arkham City miniatures from the from the PC game. Nice. Or the the game, um, and the last one I got was the Batman Arkham Knight, which is the one in the armor, the, the, the sort of the brand new powered armor version, yep. or the armoured version that they did in the game. And I was scared of painting it until I started putting some paint down on it.
2: Yeah, all
4: so right. it very interesting.
1: What, what characters from Harry Potter do you have in your, in your do you have uh, in your collection, um, Tom? Um,
2: almost all of them.
1: Um,
2: I've gone all in. I mean, I, I said, this is probably going to be a range that I'm going to be committed to having all of the miniatures. <laughs> so, there you go. and um, awesome. you know what, um, Chris, to your point about the Batman stuff, they're very uh, Ralph, sorry. They're very tricky. <laughs> um, in that the last batch that I got from them, they had a miniature of the month. That was one of the Batman models. And, of mm-hmm. course, it's awesome, and it's a Joker. And I thought, I don't need oh. to start another thing. But, you know, they're not dumb, so they conveniently included in that. And I'm like, oh, that's nice, shiny, you know. So and you liked the Batman game. I do. I loved the Batman game, yeah.
4: Oh, which version I of was Joker? Pre-
2: was... Oh, good question. Do you remember? Is it
4: from Arkham Asylum? Is it the Arkham Asylum yes,
2: Batman? I think you're right.
4: I think then, you're right. Then it's a... Then it's, uh, uh, a recent version, Jim, but the voice because okay. it's a video game is yeah. voiced by Mark Hamill. Yeah, yeah. Mark. Uh, Mark yeah.
1: Hamill is yeah. famous for that. Yeah. Mark
4: Hamill voices the Joker. He's He also did the.
1: He uh, also did the the voice acting in that for the uh, correct me if I'm wrong, in the um, the uh, 1990s uh, animated series.
4: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So. Anything else uh, there? Um.
0: All right, well, to finish this portion out, um, I'm still working on the SOCR boat and crew. Um, Getting close. Still? Well, I don't have a lot of time like you all do. (laughs) You know, but work, finishing my degree, my other job. There's only so much time. Um, And then um, I'm starting to work on the razors from Spectre. Boy, there are a lot of parts on that little thing. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of parts. So... Um, I'll be doing but it's a nice kit it is a very nice (laughs) kit and uh, that is probably gonna be well it is going to be uh, the upcoming present arms episode and again I apologize to everybody for last week um, with our snowstorm and really really cold weather like negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit negative 34 Celsius or vice versa, whatever it is Um, us heathens here in the United States we don't know metric Um, so Our internet went down, so I couldn't broadcast. So we'll get it back up, and we're probably going to change the time to uh, 7 p.m. Central Time, which is 1 Um, a.m. GMT.
1: Uh, Yeah, 6 hours.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So we'll be doing that. Um, But also, on top of that, uh, I'm looking for ideas because I want to do a uh, present ARMS future episodes on designing and building a game table uh, for um, some kind of miniature battle, which Jim and I and everybody's talked about, we might tie into future episodes of Ops Center, which Jim will talk about here shortly. So that's kind of what I've been working on. Um, Hopefully we can start picking up some more uh, hobby time here. So let's yeah, let's roll into the news, shall we? Um, so uh, Spectre is still on a roll. Uh, they've been leading the headlines in our news sections for several episodes now, and yeah. they just dropped another vehicle. Uh, Ralph, you want to take us through that one?
4: Yeah, Spectre in there. <laughs> lovely wisdom joint dropped the GLTV. Uh, this this past week which looks absolutely stunning um it comes with um you can get for it uh as well as the other you buy additional turrets and they drop all that i can describe as a 30 millimeter remote turret it's called the rws land warfare turret which is a 30 millimeter cannon with a seven point six two millimeter machine gun, and it's a dra- it's a javelin on the side as well. I was say. All
1: right, so just to kind of get a high level for for people on the podcast, uh, mm-hmm. JLTV is Joint Light Tactical Vehicle. Uh, it's manufactured in the United States. It's being used by uh, Army uh, Special Forces. And the Marine Corps, believe it or not, and uh, it's also being kind of sent out to a bunch of our allies and uh, other client states, you know, people, you know, individual buyers, not individual buyers, um, other other nations who are, who are buying this from, from the defense contractor. Uh, in a roundabout way, this is going to be the replacement for the Humvee. So, it's a four-wheel vehicle, because I don't know if you know, other people may, may not have a picture of this. It's a four-wheeled uh, light armored vehicle, I stress light. Um, by no means is it like an APC or an IFV, but it's basically uh, an up-armored, bigger, hulkier, nastier um, Humvee. Um, yeah. Then, of course, they can add all the attachments and uh, turrets that uh, Ralph is talking about.
4: Is that man? Yeah, it's also it's um, it's got Mar-Pap on as well. So, what was that, Chris? I said, is that the? Is it made by
1: Oshkosh? Or who who makes? Oh, who I'm, not, I'm not sure who actually creates it. Uh, oh, yeah, it is Oshkosh.
4: Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's a collection of them, isn't there? There's Oshkosh, there's Lockheed Martin, and there's in yeah. e. General do yeah. them. So, but yeah, the Spectre. I mean, they've been teasing pictures of this over the past probably three weeks. I think on that on that on that Instagram and their Facebook page and. They just they launched it this past week, and Stephen did an amazing job. I mean, the sculpt is absolutely incredible. They actually put a size comparison against a yeah. Home V and oh, yeah. the BT the BTR. Is it an eighty two they've done, or is it the yeah. BTR ninety? It's the eighty two, isn't it? And yeah. it is the biggest vehicle that spec I've put out, um, and it will be in resin as well. So it's a the very one nice. The has it next uh, to a kit. razor that's
0: not a fair comparison
3: that's so tiny (laughs) so uh this
0: remote weapon system they have on this vehicle which Mm -hmm. kind of makes me think you know when some of those i don't necessarily fit in that category but like my younger siblings and my kids you know when you used to yell at them for playing all the video games all the time Oh yeah! Yeah. Now look what they're doing. You know, you sit inside a vehicle with the joystick and a button, and you can operate a big old weapon system from inside with the joystick. So it's just Mm, there's there's
1: a there's a little bit of history to that. I mean, America has a long uh, I don't want to say history again, but America has a long history with this kind of thing. The Mark II uh, fragmentation grenade from World War II served well during World War II in Korea, but sooner or later we switched to uh, what's the Mark 67 fragmentation grenade, which was specifically designed to be the exact weight, shape, and size of a major uh, league uh, baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, because they figured back in those days, every American boy knew how to throw a baseball. Uh, it was no accident that they designed the grenade to be specifically like that. And there's a reason why uh, the drone program, you go out to like, um, was it uh, Fort Whitman or whatever? Oh, I'm sorry, Whitman Air Force Base out of Missouri, where our, our drone program is mostly mm-hmm. centered. And you're like, wow, why is it that these drone controllers all look like PlayStation controllers? You know, there's, there's, I'm, there, there's a science to that and there's a reason for that. And um yeah, they're definitely following through on that on that, you know, philosophy. Awesome.
4: Yeah, it's just it's just you look at this thing and I mean it's like a 30 mil cannon, a seven point six two millimeter machine gun. Yeah, that's yeah, that's some serious firepower. And then they'll just shove a javelin on the side for good measure. I mean, well that's good because have you ever have
1: platform. you ever actually tried to carry a javelin?
4: <laughs> Javelin
1: started off as a quote-unquote no,
4: infantry, that, that
1: quote, quote, quote infantry anti-tank-guided weapon system. I don't know what infantry we're yeah. talking about. If there's like a, a brigade of storm giants running around in the U.S. military, I don't know about but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, Those things are big and heavy. And, you know, even the Dragon wasn't terribly um, mm-hmm. man-portable back in the day. But again, this just seems like another a progression in a general trend – in the development of modern warfare over the decades. So back in World War II, Korea and, and Vietnam, there was the Jeep and the Jeep was supposed to be a utility vehicle that, you know, you could drive around and basically get from one place to another without walking. Give us 100,000 of these things, and it's basically going to be the basic utility vehicle for the military. Along comes the 1980s. They want a replacement for that. Let's come out with the Humvee, and the Humvee, as originally designed, was just supposed to be a replacement for the Jeep. Fine. The problem is, once we get out of the 1980s, you get into these smaller conflicts. This is post-Desert Storm, Somalia, the Balkans, uh, and so on, where America gets involved in more and more of these urbanized conflicts. Before you know it, you start seeing the Humvee being used as a combat vehicle. It was never, never meant to be that. And you see these nightmare scenarios like Black Hawk Down, where these Humvees are getting chewed up by heavy Soviet, you know, PKM machine guns and RPGs. Well, no, no crap It's gonna, uh, that's going to happen. This thing isn't armor-plated. It's not meant to be a combat vehicle. At the same time... With modern warfare progressing to the point where it's more and more non-kinetic warfare, asymmetrical warfare, low-intensity warfare in these little places where you can't drive a tank down the street, you know, not everyone can walk around with a Bradley or or an Abrams or, you know, all these other vehicles. You need these small, light you know, you, you need a middle of the ground. It needs to be bigger than a Humvee and more chunky than a Humvee, more able to stand up to actual firepower and put out firepower. At the same time, it can't be an Abrams for okay. political reasons, for financial reasons, for tactical reasons. The streets aren't big enough for a, a damn Abrams half the time. And no, this isn't Stalingrad. You can't just bulldoze the buildings down because people actually live there. These are people you're trying to get in on your side. Also, people get scared when they see an Abrams on the street. And I'm not saying that the JTLV isn't scary looking, but compared to an Abrams, again, it's all these social, political, cultural reasons. This JTLV seems like a big addition to where the, the army and uh, to, uh, also the militaries of a lot of our allies are looking for that middle of the road, you know, kind of a solution that's going to help us out uh, in decades to come.
0: As long as it works. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, it's a big four-wheeled vehicle. Yeah. It's it's Grave Digger, the monster truck. joined the army,
0: yeah, and that's, uh, America. That's all I got to say. There America. You there you go. All right. So, next in the news, we have a little bit about some new show somewhere. Um, oh, yeah, this thing called Op Center. What do you think, Jim?
1: uh op center is this new show that this guy has started this guy talks way too much he thinks he knows everything and uh turns out that uh no seriously um op center right yeah Ops center is a um yeah he's right that he talks too much no (laughs) Ops center Center is a uh is a new uh, video series that we're coming out with here on sit rep that's going to sort of take the – it's kind of bookshelf into our schedule on weeks uh, between when we put out our actual bi-weekly podcasts or semi-weekly podcasts. So uh, it's going to be a short um, video series where we're coming out with content relating to a historical and command tactical level viewpoint of uh, modern warfare and we're defining modern warfare as everything after 1945. So, we're starting off with uh, our first episode is now up on on tabletop.com on uh, YouTube. Uh, it's going to be going up soon on our other platforms. It's on Twitter. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, G. On, uh, it's eventually going to go up on Facebook and Podbean as well, we hope.
0: Yep. And it's on Twitch as well.
1: Oh, awesome. Yes, yeah, Steph. Uh, check it out on Twitch. So, again, we're starting off with a four-part article series, or not articles, 4.4. Part video series on uh, the Arab-Israeli wars, and our first part was about uh, the 1956 crisis in the Suez. This is between the British, the French, the American, um, uh, I'm making all kinds of mistakes today. The British, the French, the Israelis, and of course the Egyptians. Uh, we won't go into the details. There's a 28-minute, 28 28-minute 28 video you can check out if you want to get into the details. But we are looking at both operational level gaming, uh, command-tactical level gaming. And um, conflicts. We're going to go forward in the weeks to come with the 1967 Six Day War, the 1973 Yom Kippur War, and uh, the last part will run from 1982 Peace for Galilee and running forward uh, up to the present day. uh, All the uh, conflicts and potential conflicts that we might see in the Arab Israeli War kind of area going forward. After that, the field's kind of wide open, so one thing I did want to ask about here in the podcast is, uh, everyone listening, if you have a potential uh, subject that you would like to see, again, we're going to cover modern military wargaming for everything after 1945. Uh, it's a, it's a real-world show as far as you know, reality, uh, real issues, actual conflicts that have really taken place. Uh, we might do some near future stuff going forward, but for now we're sticking with uh, more of a historical content. Um, if anyone has a uh, has a, a particular um, conflict that they would like to uh, see featured on the show, uh, let us know, and we'll uh, we'll definitely add it to the list. So far we've had some requests for the Falklands, for uh, the conflict in uh, in Aden, and uh, and a couple others. So we'll have to see which one gets the most support, and uh, that might be our. Uh, Content uh, subject matter uh, going forward.
0: That sounds awesome. It's a good series. If you haven't checked it out, make sure you check it out on one of the platforms. Uh, Jim did a really nice job on putting it together. It's really good, and it's gotten a lot of positive feedback on it. All right. So there's another. So
3: guys, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. Thanks very much. Had, I had just had news drop while we were speaking. Um, Black site has posted. Uh, pictures, and I've put it up on our um, our uh, Facebook page of the uh, cargo ship.
4: Oh,
1: no.
3: Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is four feet long, and it is modular, and it can be reconfigured as needed. And Ooh, uh, it's cur- currently slated for release next Friday, February 8th. And uh, it looks like a
0: 114 oh no, $115 US. Son of a. Son of a f- beep. Beep.
3: <laughs> and I have posted the link up uh, on our page.
0: It looks really good. That looks,
4: that really does. That looks astounding. And of course, if you spec the minis. <laughs> wow, that looks
1: really, no, really good. Now, just for, 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 for the benefit of those. For the benefit of those playing the home game, why, Gianna, are you so upset about this new release?
0: Well, because I've been... Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) So, uh, my, um... Uh Uh-oh. Guys, hear me? Okay.
4: Yeah, we can hear you. Okay,
0: sorry about that. So, um, I have been kicking around a design very somewhat similar to this, um but different. Mine's a con- an actual, this is a container ship, but mine would actually have multi-level cargo holds as well as the, uh, the pilot house and the, uh, so you would be able to go for uh blow decks would have cargo containers on the deck. So this is a really nice one. Um, it just uh-huh. seems like this is the second company that's come out with one and mine's still in the design process. Son of a biscuit.
4: So,
1: um, oh, no.
0: that's all right. The,
4: the, the thing is right. with the black site stuff as well, is it's a bit like foreground, it's all pre colored. Oh, that's pre colored. So like that? Yes, yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, I, I think it is definitely from what I was seeing on the the, the black site stuff, especially the stuff that's up on Spectre, it, it is all pre colored. Wow. I could be wrong. I might be completely wrong. I believe so, you're right. But um yeah. Um the other thing as well is the deal that they're doing with Spectre. So in the UK, um they're Spectre are gonna be importing the the Black Site stuff to the UK and the rest of the, anybody else that wants to get it through yep. Spectre. Yeah, sure. Can. Um it's actually really good for the for the UK from point of view of getting a hold of it. Um but if you order at the bank they do a bank black site and the bank looks really good. I mean it's like it, it's got the the vault and everything in it and all that um you get a you get a, a security guard with holding a slushie slushy. <laughs> uh, or whatever a large beverage drink you want to call it and a stack of money as a as a spe- as like a, a special miniature if you pre- if you pre-order the bank from spectacle
0: nice very nice all right um Chris, um, full battle rattles coming out the vehicle as well, aren't they?
3: Yeah, they're uh, about to um, finally release their Lab Three. Um, it should be out pretty soon. Like, um, I'll be posting updates as uh, I get more information from Alex. Um, I'm hoping we can get Alex on the show here to talk about it. Uh, the model looks phenomenal. The detail is the just looks incredible just all the little details that you can add to the vehicle um and uh he sh- yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure it's out and then in then in the, before the end of the month before the end of february um but i will uh, check with uh alex at full battle rattle and get a confirmed date and then i'll post it up on the page but it looks really good i'm looking forward to getting mine
0: awesome so, uh, we need to start when we get some of these, uh, products in to start doing some breach and clear, uh, quick review episodes. Yeah. Um, so we, people can get a firsthand look at how they look outside of, you know, a Facebook post. So that's very exciting news. So yeah. on another subject, there's a Kickstarter. Is it started? Mm-hmm. No, 9th of March, um, for a Vietnam game. Now it's different than what I thought it was. <laughs> um, it's weird Vietnam war yeah. yeah black sun yeah I thought yeah. it was just good old-fashioned Hueys and Viet Cong and and uh you know and Americans and Australians but there's werewolves in it
4: yep oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> werewolf, it looks like fish fishmen as well yeah, I think the reason this caught this caught my eye was because it's a collection of twenty-eight millimeter Vietnam and it's just... Yeah, more than anything. Not so much interested in the Wehrwaffe stuff.
1: What was that sound? What was that? I just heard something. Oh, that was a Riskeny's heart breaking right there. <laughs> the we all just heard it, folks. We heard that snap.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was more interested in the uh, the Vietnam the the U.S. and Vietcon minis and the we had the sure. we had war stuff you know because there's there's very limited 28 millimeter Vietnam minis out there assault group do some
1: this is true there's uh, some, there's there's not too much out there for they
0: him. actually look pretty good I'm looking at their site they actually look pretty
3: good
1: the, yeah. Uh, yeah
0: outside the fishmen oh. I yeah. mean if that's your thing it's your thing I'm not gonna I don't want to knock anybody's yeah. stuff but you know if you're looking for a purely 28 millimeter Vietnam era um, sets they do look pretty good, so yeah. Um, so there is potential there outside of that.
1: Twenty-eight mil. I'm sorry, twenty-eight mil is a tough scale for a lot of miniature for a lot of modern wargaming because the ranges get too big and the battles get too big. But Vietnam being such an infantry-based game, usually in close, either urban or jungle terrain. Uh, i.e. the tables get very small i think uh yeah vietnam is could be very i'm actually surprised there aren't more 28 millimeter uh vietnam releases and ranges out there yeah i think it's a good a good war I'm, I'm, a good conflict for 28 millimeter
4: yeah i'm guessing as well as when warlord, warlord released their korean source book that'll open up Lots of different 28 millimeter options as well on. Yes, it's quite close to World War Two, but you're still going to start seeing slightly newer technology coming through. Jim, you're probably to correct me on this. um But there you know, because I know they did the 12, uh, I know Warlord did their 12 days of Christmas or so after Christmas. And one of the things that dropped was, it looked like I think a chieftain. I could be wrong. But from that post, 47 50s version of it more than more than the late war 40s oh, version we might
1: be talking about a centurion but
4: yeah yeah that, it's that's the, the one yeah the centurion it's the 20 that's founder
3: version of the centurion the early centurion and the north hmm. koreans yeah. and the chinese were terrified of it
1: yeah that was a good tank that tank yeah, uh, gets like a World bit of a it's so. a bit of a of a, of a bad a rep i think because one of the only times it was ever used is in with the Royal Jordanian Army. We were actually talking about this on on tabletop. The Royal Jordanian Army used the twenty pounder uh, centurion. Um, at the same time, the Israelis had already upgraded to the one hundred and five millimeter centurion. So the only time it really gets into heavy combat, especially tank on tank combat, is uh, I got there wasn't a whole lot of tank on tank combat. In, there wasn't a whole lot of tank on tank combat in Korea, obviously. A little, but not much. But, um, yeah, the only time that the 20-pounder uh, version of the Centurion really gets into combat is, again, these battles on the West Bank of Jordan and Israel. We'll actually be talking about this in part two of the op Center. Uh, quick, another plug for that. Um, is again, by that time, it's already being superseded by the Israeli 105-millimeter version. So it, it gets a bad reputation or overshadowed reputation, perhaps. But uh, it is still a Centurion, and a 20 millimeter is nothing to sneeze at. You know, especially when you're up against, I mean, Koreans, uh, North Koreans in, in 19, 1950 to 53. What were they What were they equipped with for tanks? We're, we're talking We're talking about T 34 85s, and a Centurion with a 20 millimeter gun, or I'm sorry, a 20 pounder gun, is going to put a hole straight through a T 34 85 with no problems whatsoever.
3: Yeah. Jim, um, is there a good
0: game that would uh, demonstrate that, at, to your knowledge?
1: Um, for hold on a second. Um, for to demonstrate what exactly? For, they, that
0: type uh, of you know, uh, the Centurion with the twenty pounder, you know, versus the T thirty fours or similar.
1: Uh, a miniature game that well, does it could be that.
0: Miniature, or it could be hex counter, any type of war game. Well,
1: hex and Enc- hex counter is definitely the Arab Israeli Wars, which we feature heavily in the op center. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least these first four episodes. Um, anyone who checks out those uh, videos will see us talk about that game uh, pretty heavily. Um, again, it's not a miniature game, but it's that nice bridge between the high level. Presidential level operations game, and then down to the you know the sergeant in his uh, under the helmet view kind of a tactical um, you know man on man game. Sure. Okay. But uh, it would be that, and it would be uh, again. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know what's probably going to do it? Um, the new Flames of. Sorry about this. The uh, the new. Uh, Battlefront release, I haven't actually checked out that particular tank in specific, but I do have a copy of the book, I can actually look it up after the podcast, the 1967 and 73 uh, Fate of a Nation release from Battlefront. Nice. So, somebody at Battlefront has, uh, you know, really done an amazing thing, Uh, I fully... uh, Recommend them for the gaming Nobel Prize in 2019 or whatever. Wow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> seriously. If there, if there was like, if there was a company that has really done something right recently, it's uh, as far as modern war gaming. I say it's Battlefront, and what they've done is that when they re-released Fate of a Nation, they finally kind of clued into the fact that 1967 isn't the most interesting war from a tactical wargaming perspective. And they've expanded it into 1973. If you go back a couple episodes in our podcast, we were talking uh, about what would you like for Christmas if you could wave a magic wand. Literally, Battlefront did it. And I I almost swear I wasn't cheating. I wasn't looking at something ahead of time or anything. (laughs) They literally came out with what I asked for like two months later. And it's this new um, Fate of a Nation release. So it's Fate of a Nation, Arab-Israeli Wars. The initial Fate of of a Nation release was strictly 1967, and they ran it as a Flames of War sequel. Now they're re-releasing it, and it's part of their Team Yankee uh, rollouts instead of uh, Flames of War, World War II. So it's a Team Yankee prequel as opposed to a Flames of War sequel. And in doing so, they've expanded also into the 1973 war. These 20-pound – how we got on this tangent – these 20-pounder – Jordanian um, uh, centurions are going to be used pre the, the, they were one battle they were in was Battle of Janine on like I think the fourth or fifth day of the Six-Day War where they had to fight. Uh, they were on their way to fight uh, some Israeli centurions. So you almost saw some centurion versus centurion battle. They also have to fight, um, believe it or not, Syrians in the, the Black September War in 1970. You see uh, these centurions with 20 pounder guns fighting the Syrian T-55s, uh, and uh, you know not all the Arab-Israeli wars are between Israel and the Arab states. Some of the Arab-Israeli wars are between Arab states. A lot of people tend to forget that. So you do see this 20 pounder armed centurion gun in the in um, in combat in the Middle East, and you do see it. Uh, it's it's gonna we we saw the release on on tabletop. They do have it. So as far as what game system would would, would recreate that? I haven't looked at the cards yet, so I can't say for a hundred percent certain. But I, my strong hunch would be towards Fate of a Nation, the new Team Yankee themed Fate of a Nation release from Battlefront.
3: Awesome. Yeah. Sounds so cool. I'm going to take it back to Vietnam here for a second. Okay. This Black Sun release, there are I've been posting up on the the uh, page uh, a build by a the sculptor of Black Sun, Mr. Bob Murch, and it's a Cambodian ruined uh, temple. And uh, he's getting closer and closer to finishing it. And I recommend everybody go take a look at this Cambodian temple because it's amazing that the work he's done on it. And he started out with a piece of aquarium scenery. And and he went there. And... On another note, for Vietnam, when we we're talking about manufacturers, Empress will be releasing a line of Vietnam War miniatures. I've uh, I, I'll find the uh, the link, but I saw some U.S. Marines for Vietnam.
1: Oh, there you go.
3: Yeah, yeah. So that's another thing. So we're, I think we're going to see some more Vietnam coming out for a range from different manufacturers.
0: Nice yeah. Well, that's good. It's nice to see that, uh, you know, they uh, are kind of revisiting Vietnam because for a while there, Vietnam was hot and heavy, you know, yeah. especially, yeah. what was it, mid to late 80s, early 90s when all the movies came out and stuff like that. Sure. So um, that's awesome. All right. Uh, just one other quick little news item. Um, the guys over at uh, Minister building authority slash tabletop simulations, they're coming out with their Hemets, um, all their vehicles, and they look really good. I got to see a couple of them, was it last year at Adepticon? Yeah. Um, Kirk showed me some. And so he's got his own set coming out, and he has a JLTV as well. And so so if you're looking to add vehicles to your game, there's definitely a whole bunch of offerings right now. Um, So, at some point, we'll get Kirk on the show as well. Uh, So, let's transition into our topics for today. Uh, Repurposing wargame systems. Um, Too often mention wargaming, especially modern mini-wargaming. So, whose topic was this idea?
1: Uh, This is what I added to the running
0: order. Okay. Why don't you take us through it, Jim?
1: Okay, so uh, we were just trying to come up with a uh, topic that we could kick around on today's show. And one thing that I was thinking about was repurposing, again, put this out to the community and to our listeners, do you guys ever feel the need to repurpose a game system to fit a different conflict that you're interested in recreating on your tabletop? And what kind of brought this up was, uh, was our recent episode of the Op Center. So in the ops Center, episode one, we're looking at the 1956 Suez Crisis, or the, 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 uh, the Sinai War. between The part we're focusing on is between Israel and Egypt. Um, the French and British part could almost be its own episode later. But the point is, there is no, uh, to my knowledge, 1956 Sinai War miniature war game that somebody has put out. Uh, even the Fate of a Nation release from uh, Battlefront doesn't really cover the 1956 war. They focus on 67 and commendably, I'll say that again, the 1973 war. So, But there's nothing really out there for 56. So if you're going to create the 1956 table or 1956 war on your tabletop, how do you do it? Well, you go back to flames of war is what I suggested in the video. And uh, I won't go into everything because again, it's in the video. Please check it out. But it's, you know, can we use 1945 kind of weapons and units and miniatures and rules to kind of, you know, post-date it a little bit, make some tweaks and kind of bring about the, you know, 1956 table. Or if you're interested in Korea, can you use 1945 weapons for, especially the Americans and Soviets, because that's pretty much what equipped the North Koreans and later the Chinese in that conflict. Um, Can you bring those two forces together and maybe come up with something? Too often, I find in miniature war and modern miniature wargaming, again stressing moderns, the wars are so small and so numerous that nobody ever comes out with a 1983 Grenada game or a 1982 Peace for Galilee game. You know, there's not there are generic kind of systems out there: force on force, skirmish, etc. Um, I'm sorry, Spectre. Um, But those aren't really written for a specific war in mind. And I was just curious to kick around uh, the the command team here and also put it out to the community as far as what kind of modifications you guys make to adjust for the accuracy, the narrative, and, um, you know, other kind of details to get either a generic kind of a modern wargaming system or a wargaming system that was built for another conflict and kind of repurpose that into your table and your specific project you have on
4: your table at the time
0: well i think part of i the... go ahead Ralph.
4: um no it was just i was just you know thinking of that thinking of then there's been it's not so much repurposing the game but using the game for a different setting um there's been a lot of uh, co- uh community um images and stuff on the spectre a uh, Facebook page because of their agents set. So these are the guys, you know, with the the B&Es and the Chris Vector and things like that. And people have been painting them up as uh, division agents, which the division for people who don't know is a game by Ubisoft. Um, there's a pandemic hit New York and these people are sent in to see what's going on. Um, so they're, they're using this, looks like they're going to be using the Spectre rules to create a tabletop version of this pc game the awesome. other one that i the other one that i know of that gets used heavily and this is by carl especially um carl's a friend of the show um is no end in sight it's a war game called no end in sight and i think him and one of the other guys um a group in the northeast up here um, used no end in sight to do i think it was the falcons they did a, a small battle from the falcons um the old Carl uses it for his own Georgie Stan as he calls it campaign that he was going to start running. So it was a fake Middle Eastern yeah. country called Geordie Jordistan. You know, I'm a Geordie, so yeah. Um and I think he might have used they used it for doing some stuff in Iraq as well. And they also created, and I don't know whether they ran the game, I might have, was a, a crossroads on the border of Ireland during the seventies. So it was like a small uh, country f- road. Um, you had nineteen seventies cars and stuff like that, and it looked like it was an IRA attack on a on something. So they were using a game system. I'm not sure. I don't know if it was No in Sight or something else to, to 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 use it within that setting. So that type of thing I've seen done quite heavily.
1: Uh, Gee, were you going to add something to
0: that? I was just going to say, when it comes to, if you look at it from a marketing standpoint, if you pigeonhole to a certain, let's say, the Falcons or Grenada, you're limiting the system to just that time period. So it's a very limited release. If you go with a more generic overview system and then release era packets or scenario books or something like that, then you could drill down to those you know, conflicts and use uh, rules and weapon stats that are pr- you know appropriate for that time and location. Um, as far Maybe as ambush,
1: go ahead.
0: As far as the nice thing about gaming is, if once you have an, a really good understanding of a rule set and you've played through it the way it's designed, for the most part, I think you can pretty much take it to wherever you want to go with it so you know some people are just perfectly happy playing with the rules the way they are and then you have people that such as yourself jim and some of us else you know we i've talked about another game system that frustrates me about weapon ranges and things like that um they can't shoot across a bridge um when they (laughs) shoot shoot a mile and um you know and you and you tweak it to to fit to what your needs are so um, that'd be an interesting topic, you know, to, for a, a chat, um, you know, to see what people are out there, if they're, you know, doing homebrews and, um, you know, scenarios and adjustments to the current rule systems.
1: So, yeah, like, uh, Ambush Valley, when they came, or sorry, Ambush Alley, Ambush Alley back when they were working with, uh, Osprey on the Force on Force series, they kind of had a basic generic system for modern post-1945 infantry combat, mostly infantry combat. And they came out with exactly what you're talking about. A enduring freedom source book, an Iraqi freedom source book, a Fallujah force book, um, Vietnam and they had one called the Bush Wars for the Africa Africa post-colonial conflicts. But then okay, maybe they didn't have one for the Falcons or maybe they didn't have one for uh Mogadishu or something. Actually I think they did have one for Mogadishu, but they might have one, they might not have one for the specific um, conflict that you're talking about, okay, that's perfectly fine. That's what. That's why they have a generic system. Use a generic system. I was just curious to see if anyone had any ideas about, okay, here's what I looked up. Here's what I found. Is there a specific solution that we can use to kind of make sure that, that what used to be a generic system is now a perfect fit for this specific conflict that we're working on? 1956 Sinai War was literally lasted 100 hours. I'm not expecting anyone to come out with an entire, you know, expanded universe, you know, 50 books and a you know a whole range of miniatures for the 1956 war. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're working with the M50 Sherman. This is one of the Israeli upgrades. It has the French 75 hypervelocity gun in it. That gun was ripped off of the World War II Panther tank in design. So, okay, how do you create that in, say, you're using Flames of War? Can you sit there with your card and you kind of have to make up your own card where you have, okay, I'm going to use the Easy 8 Sherman, the late war US Sherman, that way you get the enhanced uh, mobility, the, the wider tracks, and the up-armored, uh, you know, more ad- additional armor, especially on the front. But then you also take the range values, the penetration values, and the firepower values, it's your specific rules right out in the Flames of War, from the late war German Panthers and you stick them on, you kind of kid-bash them rule-wise. I'm not talking about miniature-wise. Like, you're literally kid-bashing the rules at this point. You take that gun and you put it onto this up-armored Sherman you have. Presto, you now have an Israeli M50 Sherman, rules-wise. That's the kind of specific example that I was at least coming up with for how to take a game that was either generic or maybe written for a slightly different era and make it your own for the small niche conflict that you're trying to create for a specific for a specific project
0: yeah i i have seen several different um facebook groups that i belong to um wargaming ones and i have seen quite a few people create homebrewed cards take flames of war as an example where they will recreate the card template and then they will take just like you were saying this weapon from this that's now used on this and they'll create a card for it. So, um, you know, the, the only thing is, is it tournament legal? If you're one of those tournament players, you know, there's a lot of people that like to play tournaments, but personally, I don't play tournaments. I just play for fun and enjoyment. Um, so I personally don't care as long as everybody's in agreement. Um, you know, especially if you're, if it's something realistic, now I'm not going to put a laser on a freaking tank. (laughs) You know, <laughs> hey, this is the M five thousand. Um why
1: can't my M three stored carry a rhine metal one twenty from a leopard two? Damn it, I mean <laughs> the gun weighs more than Dr. is that the Dr. Evil
4: laser. The, yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, I
0: mean that's nice laser about, beams. That's the nice thing about war gaming, you know, unless you're at a button counter convention, um you can pretty much do what you want you know it's experimentation right it's the what is Absolutely. it's it's i mean if,
1: if someone's going to run a tournament for the 1956 war i'm there i'm not holding my breath and if i do go to that tournament i will gladly use the units that they provide but that's almost the point is that nobody runs tournaments or writes books for that because it's such a small conflict and in modern wargaming so many of the conflicts are so small there's a thousand and one game systems out there for world war two because world war two was huge. There's not a thousand and one conflicts out there for the 1982 soccer game war between Honduras and El Salvador. Yeah. So if you want to sit down and play a game in one of these other conflicts, you have to find the closest thing that you've got that's out there. And then sort of kid bash rules from that point. I think.
0: I agree with you. I think, um, It just opens up so much stuff and, you know, as long as you've got imagination and the energy to do it and everybody agrees on it when you play a game, I don't see a problem with it. And I think it adds life to a game. Um, You know, you're not pigeonholed into playing that one system exactly, you know, how it was designed. It could give it legs and extra life um, to play, you know, different eras and scenarios and weapons that aren't necessarily covered in the standard rules.
4: So. Yeah, I've seen that with Chain of Command. Um, I know there was a modern version of Chain of Command. Or somebody, or two fat ladies were working on a modern version of Chain of Command. Um, there's a, um, there's one of the Ball Action Facebook groups had somebody post up a modern adapt of uh, Ball Action, and there's a Ball Action Vietnam. Facebook group, which I'm on, which you know has players play using the Bolt Action rule set, but within Vietnam era now. I don't know whether that's because that you know whether that sort of fills oh. the niche of because there's not many game systems out there, yeah. but it's still the sort of type of thing is these p- the people are comfortable with that system and want to move it into different eras. You know, so a big, a big part is
1: just going to be because Bolt Action is so it popular. Is, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's everywhere. <laughs>
0: so yeah that, that's awesome um so just moving into something else so uh, an idea that came up is when you do your op center stuff jim is to yeah. possibly uh, produce army lists so like when you were doing so demonstration of the one battle where the um oh my gosh it's totally escaped me but you know you had your israeli forces doing the push uh, it was what tank-on-tank yep. tank battle there. Um, you know, in those scenarios, maybe if we can print army lists uh, to give people an idea. So if they want to take it and play it within the game, because I know you were simulating the battle. It wasn't necessarily a scenario within the game itself, because, again, 1956 doesn't technically have its own game. Um, yep. Or so they just kind of have an idea of the, the army lists. And that way, if they want to go to say, all right, I want to play it in six mil miniatures. Um, okay. I can recreate that just I don't know what you think
1: absolutely um, it would be we'd have to come up with like what system we wanted to print the list for obviously uh-huh. um, my two suggestions would be again uh, a flames on war slash team Yankee hybrid. Uh, with the 1967 and 73 wars being the straight-out Team Yankee uh, releases out of uh, Fate of a Nation version 2. But for the 1956 war, yeah, we could totally do something. Um, again, it would be mostly the vehicle types and like maybe what some of the rules should be. As far as the, the army lists go, that's right out of what was there historically. Okay. Uh, that That's not any kind of a point system. That's not any kind of a, um, you know, I mean, it's going to be balanced, but it's going to be asymmetrically balanced. Uh, the games we had with Damon in Arab-Israeli Wars show the Israelis absolutely steamrolling over forward positions of uh, 6th Egyptian Brigade, 3rd Infantry Division at uh, Kusiema, I think it's the battle that you're mentioning there. Um, but how you make that game work and still be fair with historical disparity of available forces and quality of forces is asymmetrical victory conditions. How fast can the Israelis steamroll? They're going to steamroll. How fast can they steamroll and how many casualties do they take in the process? And that's where you can really challenge the Israeli player as Damon found out to his cost. But sorry about that, Damon. Um, I I get to gloat once in a while. (laughs) Um, But uh, I am rerunning that game in solitaire to make sure it's balanced, but I just want to make sure. But... um, the other suggestion might be uh, GHQ micro armor, or because you mentioned six mil, is what made me think of that specifically. I have to get re-familiarized with those rules in order to come out with a uh, an army list that actually works uh, within the system that we're that we're publishing, or not we're not publishing the system, but we're publishing the uh, the army list. Right. In order to make it to where people who are familiar with that game system, they can, I would actually find it useful, and not just you know background information. But uh, yeah, those would be the two systems that I would talk, that I would um, probably go to at first, at least for 56. And then once you move forward into seven, 67 and 73, um, we would definitely, I think, switch fully to the uh, Fate of a Nation from Battlefront Perfect. because of the, of the way they fixed it. And then after that, we go into future conflicts. And who knows? Again, um, question out to the community. Uh, you know, what kind of conflicts would you like to see us cover on the Op Center in future episodes?
0: Excellent. So I just, uh, kind of a thought so we could have you publish or, um, post a recommended scenario with army lists, you know, based on yep. whatever game system. So if somebody wanted to try and recreate it, one of the battles that you're talking about in the videos, here's what we recommend the system. And these are the kind of the army lists that you would use. And then people can take it from there. So, Yep. perfect. So, um, I got to wake Dawn up.
1: Oh! <laughs> 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 hey, we finally succeeded. So the right. reason
0: why Dawn is on the podcast today is our second topic: um, how do you get someone who likes games to play historically, uh, historical, especially modern? Because as we know, Dawn does not play historical games, real life games. She likes the land of. We we, we
1: kind of of already disproved that. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you did find a bit of a loophole in there. Um, But we've talked about this a lot before, in that, and maybe this is generalities for my part, but to me, looking at modern or historical gaming, I'm totally not opposed to playing it, but I feel like I'm. I don't know, Um, not being respectful to it in that because I genuinely don't know what everything is. Like, am I stealing fun from somebody or from anybody else that, you know, you're trying to play a game with because what I'm trying to do with things isn't based in fact? I mean, I don't know. It, It probably is kind of a strange a strange thing to ask but I and I know um G made the comment earlier about um like a button counting convention like how important is that level of detail to people when you're playing a game in terms of whether you're gonna give slack to somebody like myself that maybe isn't well versed
4: I, I think if you if you you're dipping your toe into the water, shall we say, yeah, yes, which is technically what it would be. Is if the person on the other side understands that you know, and, and all war gamers understand that you know, not the game that the that this person's joining might not be their initial cup of tea. You know, I can't see them you know being hyper critical on oh you wouldn't do this, you wouldn't do that, you wouldn't do that. It'd be or well, the fact is, you can't do that within the rules. Right. But you know, that's the rule set itself has that restriction on. But you know, creating a small four-man special ops team going to rescue hostages—it's not. You know, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's nothing in there that that should be very daunting and should be very rules, you know, constraining on what it is. You know, you don't need to know a setting. You you don't need to know history especially in modern especially current modern so say from post first gulf war the war through the war on terror to where we are now you don't need to know the ins and outs of the political background and things like that around it you know and 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 that's my own belief i mean i could be completely wrong and be yelled at lots but you know i don't care (laughs) Uh, but that that's where you know my head is at you know it's it's in at the end of it i play war games because i enjoy war games i enjoy doing this you know and yes there's some settings that i'm not really enamored with and i did that or i played that a long time ago and it's i've moved on from there you know and it's what happens anybody else go on take it over uh, I would answer with
1: three quick points on that. Number one, well, first of all, I agree pretty much everything with what uh, with what Ralph just said. But um, as far as you know, getting started in historical or modern historical miniature wargaming, look, it's system is almost non uh, is almost a non issue. The system, the background, is non issue. Even the genre is a non issue. I mean, I would play if I, depending on the players that were there, if we were all having fun. I would play 40 K. I know I just said that on air, you know, I know it depends (laughs) on the players. I've had fun. I used to play D and D. I can't stand fantasy, but I used to play D and D back in the Marine Corps because the people that I was gaming with were fun. So if you've got the fun people, number one, because historical war gamers and modern historical, especially historical war gamers do have a bit of a stigma. And, I'm not ashamed to say it because it's somewhat self-inflicted. We do it to ourselves. Whereas, you know, if somebody who is somewhat new to the genre tries to put an army on the table and maybe it's not 100 percent accurate, we start, you know, twirling our mustaches and puffing on our pipes. And, you know, how, 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 how dare you put that? You know, that's the, those are not those are not the fun people that you want to be gaming with in the first place. So point one, part one, is you know, you got to make sure that you find the right kind of fun people that are ready to, you know, uh, you know, accept you into their group. And um, number uh, to kind of build on that is point two. Um, a quick way to make friends with a historical wargamer is to ask them to explain things to you. And they will stand there and explain things to you until you're literally ready to pass out. Uh, <laughs> But they'll have a great time just explaining it to you. And what they'll do is that now you can base your army on what they're saying. And that has a two-sided benefit for you as a new player. Number one, you don't have to plow through, you know, hundreds of hours of research. And number two, if anything's wrong, you can blame the person because they're the one that told you that. (laughs) And um, last but not least, to again reiterate what Ralph was saying, um, historical detail and accuracy matters more on the kind of levels that I play at. Which may not be what you're interested in. You know, the command tactical level. Uh, you know, what brigade, what battalion, what regiment, what, where the hills were. When you're down at the level that Ralph likes to play at, you know, four or five guys around a shipping container, does historical accuracy really matter? You know, could you use the same system for British commandos at San Nazaire as you could for you know Soviet or ex-Soviet FSB agents in Saint Petersburg somewhere? The answer is yes. Uh, At that level, at that level of granularity, no one's one's written a history book about last Tuesday. So you could totally, you know, not get too involved in the historical or the military accuracy with it if you go down to that level of small, you know, small scale detail. Um, But really the most important part is just finding the right finding the right people that right. The right people will, number one, know that you're new to it. They'll be happy to explain anything to you. In fact, if anything, you're going to have to tell them to shut up eventually. Mm -hmm. And um, (laughs) you'll you'll get all the information you need, and that is relevant to the exact game system that you've got on the table at the time.
2: Gotcha. Very
0: cool. All right, guys, we're about to the end of our show today. A couple of quick housekeeping things. We want to remind our prize winners, I haven't heard from you guys yet. Uh, Chris Moody, you are our Facebook 100 winner. You uh, won a copy of Skirmish Engine. Uh, I sent you a message. Please reach out to us uh, to claim your prize. And then David Maxwell, you are our YouTube 100 winner. You won a set of Games and Gears paintbrushes. Uh, We like those paintbrushes here. Um, So congratulations to both of you for the prizes. And then last but not least, and we want to thank our Patreon sponsors. Yay. Uh, awesome. Lawrence Townsend, thank you so much for your Patreon, uh, our anonymous donors. And then last but mostly not least, uh, our new producer, Michael Bradshaw. Thank you very much for your support and welcome as a producer to our podcast podcast. And remember, you can find us on Podbean, YouTube, Facebook, Apple Music, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Twitch, and especially our good friends over at ontabletop OnTabletop.com. Absolutely. So uh, remember, you can find us on all those locations, and your support would be greatly appreciated if you uh, decide to on Patreon. And we also have merchandise available. Uh, Ralph came up with a really nice design, and it's available on t-shirts, sweatshirts, cups and many other items so uh take a look at those as well so that's on uh
1: that's on zazzle.com
0: it's on zazzle.com yep uh zazzle.com slash uh sit rep podcast yes buy merch buy merch
1: (laughs) and prize winners Please contact G and claim your prize because if you don't, Dawn is going to take the prize. You know how interested she is in starting miniature wargaming. I'm so on it. There you go.
3: (laughs) I'll I'll send both of them messages. I know both of them.
0: Okay. Very good. So uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, Chris, thank you very much.
1: Yep. And Ralph? Yep. Thank you. And as always.
0: And to our very special guest, and you were very entertaining. You really need to stop talking so much next time, Don.
2: I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> see if you ever invite me again.
0: Until we see you next time, you are listening to the Sit Rep Podcast. Take care.